Something was about to happen, and it was something spectacular. Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, and we're two days into the final test match of the 2023 Ashes series. Australia have managed to get a slender 12-run lead after the first innings here, and in fact, it's pretty neatly all tied up in a bow after two days. Both innings are finished. We're going to start fresh with the third innings when we come back tomorrow. My name is Josh Onafinger, joined by Louis Cameron. Louis, what did you make of day two? I mean, in a lot of ways, Australia's innings was very similar to England's innings. They just kind of got there in a very different way. I mean, there was a pretty solid start, a bit of a collapse. Uh, one batter batting, you know, through in England's case, it was Harry Brook who batted beautifully. Today, it was Steve Smith who batted very well, was running out of partners. He slogged, kind of look, looked like they were going to take a big uh, a disadvantage going into the second innings. Uh, and then for England, quite, you know, similar fashion, it was Wooden Wokes who kind of rescued them. Today, it was Pat Cummins and Todd Murphy. So very different styles, but I mean, it took Australia basically all of the day to uh, to achieve what England did in uh, how many overs was it yesterday? Not that many. Yeah, only 55. Only 54. Yeah, yeah 54.4 overs. So uh, two different styles, but they're kind of ending up at the exact same result. Been uh, the whole series in a nutshell, really, hasn't it? Uh, this test match so far. Australia began the day on one for 61 and batted through the entire first session, losing only one wicket, but scoring only 54 runs. It was snail's pace for the first session, but then... When the wicket started to fall, Marnus Labuschagne fell to an incredible Joe Root catch, which we'll get to. And then Steve Smith came to the crease. He was the top scorer today with 71, but really struggled to find a partner to go with him. The partnerships in the middle there were 14 runs, 12 runs, 14 runs, 19 runs, 15 runs. So the wickets were falling regularly. The players were looking okay, getting a few starts here and there, but the England bowlers, as they did in the first session, were really good for the most part. It took until Pat Cummins and Todd Murphy then came together at the end of the day, both scoring in the 30s and putting on a crucial 49-run stand for the 10th wicket to get Australia into the lead. 295 they were bowled out for off the last, well, it ended up being the last ball of the day when Ben Stokes took a very good catch on the boundary off the bowling of Joe Root. So where do we begin, Australia, with a 12-run lead, even though it looked like for a long time that they were going to have a big first innings deficit? Yeah, where should we begin? I mean, everyone wants to hear about the run out, but why don't we just make them wait? Okay. Uh, and if they switch off, they switch off, but we'll get to the run out in a bit. They might fast forward even. They might, yeah, they might fast forward. And if you do, I wouldn't blame you because I'm just going to talk about Joe Root for a little bit. He took an amazing catch today at first slip. It was one that Johnny Bairstow should have probably caught, but at least he didn't fake to go that way. Should have probably caught or definitely should have oh, caught? Definitely, he definitely should have gone for it. I, yeah, let's, let's make no bones about it. Uh, Alex Carey dropped one in a very similar way uh, the day before. He only went on one hand. Uh, he should have gone two hands. Johnny Bairstow should have also gone two hands for this one. Instead, Joe Root went one hand to his left because he saw it so late because he expected his longtime teammate Bairstow to snap that up. That didn't happen. It was an amazing catch. Uh, Root didn't make many runs in this game, uh, but he's had an impact in the field. I want to talk about his bowling, though. Okay. So he's got an Alice Carey out for the second time in this series. He has taken five wickets in this series at around about mid-20s. Uh, he's now the frontline spinner for England with Moanelli's injury. Exactly right. So he's had to step up. All his wickets have been top seven batters. He has gotten in his career out uh, Michael Clark out. He's gotten Stephen Smith out. He's gotten Pat Cummins out multiple times. So he's got a pretty good record against Australian captains. Uh, and this is a stat that I want to throw at you. He has a better bowling average against Australia 
And this isn't a small sample size. He's taken 22 wickets against Australia. Has he really? Yes, quite a lot. So he's played a lot of cricket against Australia. So, uh, But he has bowled quite a lot of balls. I think it's up to 233 overs. So not an insignificant sample size, which is why I'm mentioning this stat. He's got a better bowling average than Dan Vittori, than Graham Swan, than Tim Southey, than Trent Bolt, than Jack Callis, Matthew Hoggard, and his own captain, Ben Stokes. All those bowlers have fared worse against Australia than Joe Root. It's weird little off spinners and the occasional arm ball. Why doesn't he bowl more? Why do they even need a frontline spinner when they got Joe Root in the team? He's bowling more now, I think, with Ben Stokes as captain. Uh, so that's just a little aside that I just want to get out of the way. I think there are much more important things that happened today. It's a good stat. <laughs> he only bowled 7.1 overs, but as you said, he got two wickets today and has looked for the most... Well, I think it was the fourth day at Manchester where we had a bit of rain and the England quicks were bowling under heavy cloud didn't really look threatening and then Joe Root came on and looked like the most threatening bowler so you might be onto something there maybe they do need to rely on Joe and they go into India soon as well so big series perhaps for Root exactly right two spinners and Joe Root I think it's a pretty good combination let's jump into the run out then is it our moment of the day we're going to hold that for later nah, in the episode? it's not the moment of the day because it's just kind of an annoying cricket thing that we'll get into in a lot of detail don't worry we'll explain exactly how it happened and why Probably the wrong decision was made, but that it's understandable. Uh, but it's not the moment of the day. Hold fire for that just for a little bit longer. Okay, so the run out, if you haven't seen it, go to cricket.com.au because we've got the video. It's quite incredible. Yep. Elon came flying in. Ah! the boundary. That's brilliant. Don't tell me another England subfielder has done it again with Ricky Ponting on commentary. I'll tell you what, this could be out. Smith actually stumbled on his turn. Uh, England had a subfielder on the field. George Elam is his name. He's the son of Mark Elam, if you remember the England all-rounder from the 90s. And uh, it was a great effort by him. He's running off the boundary. Steve Smith has tapped Wokes into the leg side. And it looks like it's going to be one of those ones where they can get two because the field is all the way on the boundary. Elam hairs in like a rabbit. He's super quick. He's pretty small. He's got the floppy hat that flies off in the breeze. Picks it up really well, bounce throw into Bairstow, and it looks like Smith's caught short, even despite a despairing dive, full stretch dive, by the way. And as we get to the third umpire, it, the crowd goes up because on the big screen, it's, he's clearly short of his ground, but on closer inspection, it looks like Bairstow, he's having one of those series. He's knocked the one of the stumps with his arm and one of the bowels is dislodged, causing a bit of confusion and doubt in the third umpire's mind. And after a long deliberation, I think it was about three minutes, uh, Nitin Menon, the third umpire, decided not out. Louis, was it the right call? Where did he go wrong? And did I miss anything there? So a bit of a journey for me on this one. So I, we, we both kind of had the laws up and, and you got them up. And what we learnt, and what I'm sure a lot of cricket fans are learning by listening to this, is that for a bail to be dislodged, both parts, both ends of the bail have to be out of the groove completely. Okay. That's one part of it. And the other part of it is that even if you dislodge one bale and the other bale is still standing, that wicket is not considered broken in the sense that you can't break it again. See, I always thought that was the case. Exactly right. And so did I. So what it Menon eventually decided on was that the first bale came off uh, because Johnny Bairstow's arm hit the stumps. So And Smith was out of the crease, but his arm had hit the stumps, so that was void. Then the ball does go into Johnny Bairstow's gloves and then he breaks the stumps and the other bale falls off, by which time Smith had made his ground, therefore not out. That was a pretty reasonable take from Menon, I think, in the three minutes that he had and the technology 
that he had and the angles that he was given. What a much more considered and forensic and lengthy deliberation on Sky Sports. I think Ian Ward was the one who kind of figured it out with the help of about a million people and all of Sky's technicians, was that while Bairstow had, yes, he had broken one of the stumps and yes, part of the bale touching the middle stump had been dislodged, the groove in the other stump, I think it was the off stump, if Smith is facing up as a right-hander, that was still in there. That was still in its groove. So that means according to the MCC, that bale had not yet been dislodged. Oh, right, okay. And in that time, the ball got into his gloves and then he broke the stumps and Smith was still out of his crease. That's what Sky Sports are saying and it's very, very close. But because the spriggot, I think it's the spriggot or the spigot, that little end of the bale, because that was still in the stump, when Bearstow got the ball in his gloves and when Smith was still out of his crease – it should have been given out. Right. So it was a false dislodging. It looks like it's come all the way out, but it hasn't. Is it that sort of right? Exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. And on the initial evidence, to be fair to the third umpire, because I really have a lot of sympathy for him here, the angles he was given, none of that suggested that he'd made the wrong decision. With the available evidence, I think he got it 100% right. Then further analysis suggested that he was wrong. Are we going to take 50 minutes to review umpiring decisions? Are we going to take 50 minutes to review run-out decisions? I don't think so. Um, in the end, it only cost England 28 runs. Is it the end of the world? Probably not. If Smith was still batting tonight, he was not out and he was uh, holding up his bat for his 33rd test century. Might be a different story. Might be looking at it slightly differently. Um, but I think really hard to be too hard on the third umpire in this scenario. Okay. Yep. Let's And uh, as I said before, check out that video and have your say. Let us know. As well on the podcast, we'll leave a link in the description if you do want to get in touch and let us know your thoughts. It was a crucial point of the match, though. Did say they were 7 for 194 at that stage and still 90 runs behind. Smith and Cummins were able to combine for a 50-run partnership and got Australia up to level. So interesting to see if that plays out to be a crucial point of the match. Let's get into our moment of the day, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, proudly representing Australia on the world stage and flying to more than 95 destinations around the globe. And this one's a bit left field, Lou. What's today's moment? It was just a gorgeous shot from Mitch Marsh. I mean, it's kind of hard to go past it. It was the one that kind of just left all our jaws on the floor. Uh, Australia had batted very conservatively, especially through the first session. They only took 54 runs off the first 26 over the day, painstakingly slow. Uh, you called it snail's pace. So Mitch Marsh kind of came, comes out. Travis Head's in the sheds. Uh, so the guy that has been changing the game for Australia in terms of runs scored at a quick pace, he's back in the sheds. Uh, and Mitch Maas, off his 10th ball, just unfurls this ridiculous lofted off drive for six off Seward Broad. Seward Broad couldn't believe what he'd done. Uh, and I'm not sure Mitch Marsh could quite believe what he'd done either. It was the kind of shot that we would see normally in T20 cricket. To pull it out on your 10th ball uh, was pretty ballsy. Uh, I enjoyed it. And when the bowler's got his tail up, and it wasn't even like a full ball, it wasn't a half volley, it wasn't in the slot, it was a length ball. And because Mahush is such a big man, he's just planted that front foot down the crease. And it, well, he sent it right in our direction, right where we were sitting. I would love to get the distance on that six because it was a huge one. I was in the SN commentary box and I was certain that it was going to hit hit us and it was going to hit the glass and be one of those one of those kind of moments. But yeah, extraordinary shot from Mitch Marsh. Unfortunately, it didn't last too long because he chopped on to Jimmy Anderson for 16. One man who also cleared the fence on multiple occasions was Todd Murphy. Australia's number 10 put in a career best, well, in the test arena, at least 34 runs of 39 deliveries, and it was much needed for Australia. Two fours and three sixes, all coming off the pace 
of Mark Wood. They were incredible flip-up shots. They were all short balls. Not None of them really at his head, but just off his hip. Between his hip and his chest, he's managed to flick these tremendous shots over a deep backwards square leg and three sixes that uh, a lot of Australia's batters haven't been able to do against the pace of Mark Wood. And maybe now Murphy's looking at a promotion up the order. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, I'm not sure Pat Cummins is going to be putting him up ahead of him anytime soon, but uh, it, especially going off Todd Murphy's record to start his career. Uh, scores of 0-2-0, three not out, zero in his first five test innings. They were all in India. It was pretty hard to bat over there, uh, but he probably would have liked a few more runs than that. He did make a 41 in a Medabad, but I reckon I, we both of us could have made 41 runs in a Medabad. That pitch was that flat. Oh, so it wasn't his career high. Sorry, Todd, I've gone early and it was not given his career you his career high. best. No, I've been... For me, uh, the Ahmedabad test was void. Uh, it never happened. Uh, we don't have to acknowledge its existence ever again. I think that would be fair. That was an awful test. Uh, but the, the point is Todd Murphy can bat. Uh, I think one day he might be an eight or a nine for Australia. I've got another stat for you. His three sixes at number 10 equals the record for an Aussie number 10. Dennis Lilly, Stuart Clark, Nathan Lyon and Pat Cummins all have three sixes in an innings. So Todd Murphy joins that exclusive club. Well done, Todd, for 34 runs. So a lot of focus today on Bales, Josh. Uh, something you picked up earlier today that uh, Stuart Broad talked about in the press conference. We'll throw to him in a little bit, but you picked this up when it happened. Uh, something to do with the Bales, uh, not quite run-out related, but uh, very interesting nonetheless. Yeah, so Bales were, I guess, the theme of the day. Wood was bowling to Labuschagne, and he just tapped this little ball into the leg side where Labuschagne thought he'd get a quick single. Kwaja didn't want to have any of it and sent him back. After that, Stuart Broad came in from mid-on. He'd just fielded that ball. Oh, sorry, from mid-wicket. He'd just fielded that ball and uh, went up to the stumps of Minus Labuschagne's and turned the bales around, if that makes sense. He picked them out of their groove and... Uh, picked up the off-bale, put in the leg-bale groove yes, and put the leg-bale yes. in the off-bale groove. Don't ask me why. I think he might explain it shortly. But for some reason, Minus definitely... He took notice and it may have got inside his head the very next ball. Minus snicked off right after that. And I think Stuart Broad's going to claim credit for that. Let's hear what he's had to say about it in the press conference. I th I, I've heard, I mean, I've sort of might have made this up. I've heard it's a, like an Aussie uh, change of luck thing. And I've seen Nathan Lyon do it. And I feel like I've seen Justin Langer do it. And I've, we got some, is that right? You never heard of that. Um, <laughs> I could have just made that up. Um, but we had a few player misses uh, in the morning session and, you know, it was, we needed to make a breakthrough um, and I thought I'll have a little change of the bales. Marnus is quite a, you know, he's, he's someone who would notice everything, so he took notice of it. And I think Uzi said something to him like, oh, that's, I've seen someone do that before. And then, you know, it, it just worked out pretty magically that he nicked the next ball and Ruti took a great catch. So, yeah, I, uh, I randomly went and celebrated with Uzi for some reason. But um, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a nice, uh, you know, little change of, change of bail to change the luck and it, and it seemed to work for that ball. So what did you say to Uzi? He said, if you touch my bails, I'm flipping them straight back. <laughs> so it was like he gave me an immediate warning. So Uzi Kwaja obviously not going to let... Stuart Broad messed around with his bails and it sounded like Stuart Broad was uh, not going to mess with Usman Khawaja, which uh, I think is pretty fair. I'd be pretty scared of Usman Khawaja too. We might be remembering the Oval Day 2 as Bales Day in the future. You know, it's been all about the bails today, so hopefully we can uh, <laughs> forget about those in the next coming days. Very good, yeah. And I don't think uh, Scotty Bailey, the AAP reporter over here, would, would want that either. What about George, the Australian selector? Yeah, it's true. He has left the tour so far. So uh, he only did the first two or three tests of this tour. So uh, the Bales needed some love, Josh, didn't they? 
They did. This has been the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. Day two done. Join us tomorrow for day three.